Hey there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of XP Gains. My name is McThane, and I'm here with my superhero and co-host, Captain Silverstrike. And today we are going to be continuing our Janitor's Waltz. So this is the tail end of our What We Love About Video Games series. We've already talked about the genres that we play the most, or the ones that we play most frequently, at least, with our friends and various other things, and given them kind of priority with their own episodes. But for anybody who hasn't been keeping up with us, or if you're just dropping in on this episode, we're kind of cleaning up the tail end of the genres that we enjoy every now and again, maybe once in a blue moon or, you know, something that we pick up and play or something that we play very, very frantically for a short period of time and then drop for a long period or maybe a genre that interests us once every couple of years or something like that. But we still think that these genres are really cool and really interesting and have a lot to talk about. So we're going to continue with that this time with puzzle genres, the turn-based strategy genre, and also the VR games category. So Although VR obviously can encompass just as many games as, well, a PC or a PlayStation or anything else, there isn't really a whole lot out for VR right now, so we're just going to cover all of them in one topic. Um, and I think that's all. Have I forgotten anything, Mr. Silverstrike? I think that's everything. Okay, awesome. Well, enjoy the episode, guys, and we will see you on the flip side. Have a good one. testing my pop 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 filter in order to start us off with pop pop puzzle games yeah i think i'm gonna let you kick off this time i always seem to kick off the topic and warm it up a little bit oh i don't uh, i don't mean to throw you in at the deep end a good example of a puzzle game and this is the first game that i had on pc was the original portal portal is interesting because it it is very meticulous in the way it introduces the different mechanics for you to advance through each stage. It starts off very simple. Mm -hmm. It starts off even without the trademark portal gun, right? You have to move boxes at first and put them on buttons, and then you learn how to use a single portal. So you, you learn one particular color and the, the other portal is already set for you in certain locations. And then as you move along, the game gradually increases in difficulty and introduces more difficult elements, which I thought was really neat. Yeah, I'd actually completely forgotten that there was a tutorial in that game. That's how well done it was, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Not, the, it's not the typical tutorial. You don't really think of, oh, this was a tutorial. Just the first two puzzles were kind mm -hmm. of teaching you how to play. Yeah. And that's kind of an interesting thing because that very principle of teaching you, walking you through the first level and teaching you how the mechanics work, not by giving you tutorial prompts, but having you figure it out, mm -hmm. um, is something that was very present in The Witness, which to a lot of people is just a line puzzle game, but it is so much more than that when, when you start exploring the game. And I don't want to spoil anything, but I think if you haven't tried The Witness, you have to really give it a go. There's so many of the mechanics in the world that they will take a while before you get what, what the trick is to a certain set of puzzles. But once you get them, oh man, there's that moment when it clicks and it feels so good. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I haven't I haven't had the chance to play it myself. So Yeah, it's it's really good. Like if you mm -hmm. find it if you find it on a sale, 
get it. Even if even if it gets too complex at the end, which I for me it got too complex at around the eighty percent mark or something. Mm-hmm. I had to look up some of the solutions because I didn't get the mechanic. Um, and even then, I found it to be difficult. There was a a particular mechanic you had to listen to audio samples and then figure out the pattern of the puzzle based on the audio that you were hearing. And I'm not really good with um, with this kind of pattern matching you have to do with audio. They were trying to grow the variety, but it, it wasn't suited to everyone from what it sounds like. Yeah, this is something that uh, I, I read a, a bunch of people had difficulty with. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's not really surprising. I mean, tone tone deafness or selective tone hearing is actually quite common. And of course, like colorblindness, a lot of people don't realize that they have it until well, I don't mean I don't mean that apparent. I didn't hear the sounds that were being produced. Oh, okay. Right. So what was it then? I mean that I'm just really bad at remembering sounds because what happens or what happened with this particular uh, sequence of, of puzzles is you would listen to a sample, then you would have to move and go to the puzzle that you have to solve. And then you have to kind of replicate the pattern. I'm really good at listening to stuff and and I like rhythm games and I'm quite all right at them, but I cannot for the love of God remember patterns or replicate them easily without lots of practice. So this was really hard for me. Uh, okay, so it was more just really tedious. Yeah, it, it, it felt much more tedious than the rest of the game. Hmm, but okay. anyway, the, the, the thing I want to talk about is, is the start of the game. Mm-hmm. The first puzzle is literally you clicking on on the dot and moving it in a in a total horizontal line. That's it. So there's no complexity there. And then you step outside because you're in a tunnel at first. And then you enter this beautiful world. Mm-hmm. And then you you look for these panels that you have to solve, and you start solving them, and, and new mechanics start to unfold. But one of the cool things I liked a lot is it's an open world, so you can just go where you want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in some ways once it reminded you, me of uh, Mist or more recently of Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you get past that first um, mini, it's kind of a, a small contained area which functions as a tutorial, I suppose. Once you get past that, you are free to go where you want. And the first puzzle that you see when you exit this tutorial-like area Mm-hmm. is a puzzle that if you're willing to work at it, you can solve, but it's very frustrating because you don't understand the mechanics. So you have to either figure out the mechanics as you go along, or you can give up and just proceed down the path. And then you will encounter a simpler version of, of this puzzle where you get introduced to the different mechanics. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's interesting. So you either brute force your way through this first puzzle, which... Some people do. Uh, mm-hmm. I was able to brute force my way through like a, a third of the puzzle. And I was like, oh, okay, I understand what these two mechanics do, but I don't understand the others. And then I went to the next area. And sure enough, there was this new mechanic being introduced. And again, there's no explanations at all. It's just you connecting dots. And the puzzles get progressively more difficult uh, to teach you, you know, way a, a certain pattern or a certain system works. So you go through... A puzzle, you make an assumption, like this is what I'm supposed to do in this particular puzzle. And then you get the next puzzle and you say, okay, well, let's try this theory that I have. Is it right or wrong? Oh, it's right. Okay, let's move on to the next puzzle. Hmm, seems my theory isn't quite right because the thing that I had in mind 
that I need to do to solve the puzzle here doesn't work. So then you go back and you have to think. So it's 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 incredibly, you know, you have to think about these puzzles a bit. But it's it's incredibly satisfying. It sounds like it follows a very kind of a, an iterative experimental practice, and that's what it wants you to do. It wants you to learn by experimentation yes. and, and iteration. At least at the start. And then there are certain elements, and this is what I really liked, where you have to take the environment into consideration. Some puzzles do not seem to have a solution until you just look around you and you realize that, oh, look, there's a pattern in the trees when you look at the puzzle that totally maps to the what trees you, and then you do, right? and then you know oh this is this is what i have to do or there's a, a certain map or a certain section where you have to look at the shadows that are being cast by the trees on the puzzles and you have to dodge the kind of dodge the dodge the shadows that are uh, appearing on the panel themselves and sometimes some of the shadows are obscured so you have to think well if this wall wasn't here what would the projection of the shadow be to solve the puzzle so i mean it gets really crazy um but what i liked is that it's not just a single set of boring puzzles that get progressively more difficult but that there's a variety of different themes on this island and that's there's kind of batches of puzzles so if you don't figure if you can't figure out a certain technique then you can just go somewhere else and see if you can find out what's happening over there. Yeah, you know, actually, this brings us to one of my major criticisms of the puzzle game genre at large, and that is that there oftentimes doesn't seem to be any kind of a significant middle ground between being able to solve the puzzle right away and having a way of figuring it out for yourself. Like sometimes you are presented with this thing, and if you cannot completely solve it from start to finish, the only alternative that you have is going to look for a guide. And that has always disappointed me if I found myself in the latter category. And oftentimes once it's solved for you, you go, ah, right, okay, if I had just done this. And you almost feel disappointed because, of course, not only have you missed the game now, but you also feel stupid. So I'm really happy to hear that there's like some effort there to get rid of that problem, if that makes sense, where you can just kind of brute force it all at once for the challenge. And if it's still not working out for you, you know, you can try it another way. Um, or go for a, a less difficult version of it. I think that's really good. Yes. And the, 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 the thing that's unique about The Witness is that there's nothing in the game that explains how you have to solve problems. You have to just figure it out yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, that's in a lot of ways, though, that's a good sign because that means that they're limiting their design to a show-don't-tell principle, which, generally speaking, is a far more effective way of learning in my opinion. I found the world to be very meticulously crafted. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Also, it's visually a very beautiful game, too. It was one of my highlights, uh, at least uh, in the year it released. Hmm. Well, that's cool. A puzzle game made it all the way up there. <laughs> that's really, really neat. There was something interesting that I noticed about the way that you opened in your description as well, and that was that you said you didn't want to spoil anything. And this is something I've noticed is very consistent among people who have played The Witness, is that they're very, very um, dedicated to this idea that they don't want to spoil the game. So clearly this has been a very, I, I don't know, a, a very deep experience or meaningful experience to a lot of people. Well, there's multiple layers to the puzzles in a way that when you first discover it, you have to discover it by yourself. It's kind of stupid if I explain what this kind of extra layer is. But once you discover it, 
you start experimenting and then you can you see the game in a whole new light so it's um mm-hmm. it's it's a very special experience um and this is it's only possible because they they meticulously created the world this way that sounds really cool yeah um but yeah so moving <laughs> to our next one uh you started mentioning about an open world and that gave me some thoughts about uh the telos principle actually yes. because that's uh-huh. also kind of in some ways it's it's a staged world i would say so you go into an area yes. and you have a bunch of puzzles there and then you go into the next area and so on and so forth and then of course there's the tower mm-hmm. um anybody who has played the the telos principle will know I'm, what i'm talking about of course but uh-huh. it's this uh, this building and you go up in levels and you get harder and harder puzzles you can advance as you go and one of the things that you are told by quote unquote the god of this world that you're living in yeah is that you are not allowed to progress to the top of the tower. So of course there's always the question will you do it or will you not? Uh-huh, and yes. it's a it's a very interesting thing that there's this persistent concept in the game of the forbidden fruit and I, I really liked that. Um, but the Talos principle as a game while I found it very interesting there were also certain things that came off to me as a little bit arbitrary like the way that a lot of the the puzzles work and the limitations that you have can seem a little bit restrictive at times, you know, kind of like the waist high wall that you can't walk over and things like that. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Seems a little bit silly. I understand it's a puzzle game. The purpose of it is to challenge your your mm-hmm. mental yes. aptitude, not can you jump over a wall, obviously. Yeah. But you know, it still frustrates me that, <laughs> that I see this thing that's only up to my shins and I can't walk over it. Um mm-hmm. but did you complete whole, the game? I did not. I did not. I keep meaning to dip back into it. Um I played it Oh gosh, I don't even know how long I spent in that game. I spent quite some time playing it, longer than I would with most puzzle games. Uh, mm-hmm. The only exception I think is probably Portal and Portal 2. Yes. Um, but I have an interesting thing going back to Portal very briefly. I actually did not enjoy Portal 2 as much as I enjoyed Portal 1. Yes, you mentioned this before, didn't you? Yes, I, I did at one point. And the thing that I find most interesting about this is that the reason I don't like it is that I felt that the core principles they adhered to in the first game were so, you described it as being meticulously crafted, but I think the other thing is that they didn't water down their ideas either. They were very simple, very straightforward, very direct, and the creativity was all about how the puzzle was crafted. Whereas I felt like in the second game, a lot of it was more arbitrarily over-designed. So you had all these different gels that you had to use and you had to place them in exactly the right spot. So even after you figured out how to do the puzzle, a lot of it was just about aiming it just the right way or doing various things. And I felt that there was less of that in Portal 1. Once you figured out how to do it, you could generally do it. And you might need some slight readjustments or you know a couple of tries, but usually you would get it fairly quickly uh, once you figured it out. Whereas in the second game, I found that I was constantly having to readjust this or that or change this other thing. Um, and I didn't like the fact that I, I honestly, I felt that there were too many mechanics in the game and it became a little bit crowded. Maybe you found the game a bit too long because the original portal was very short, right? That was a three hour game that came with the orange box. And then portal two is its own thing with its own story and lots of, lots of expanded puzzles. Yeah. I sure. did enjoy the story though. I thought that was quite, quite yeah, enjoyable. Yeah. I think the the time when you have Gladys plugged into a potato is possibly one of my favorite sequences in gaming. 
<laughs> yeah. That's marvelous. Yeah. It's really the fact great. that somebody remembered that. I mean, we've all made the potato clock, right, in, in school when we were learning. Oh, you can get energy from a potato. It's amazing. We've all done that. Yeah. But who remembered that? Yeah. <laughs> who in Valve went, oh, you know, we can put her in a potato. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very well-written game for sure. Yes, also true. Although I absolutely despised the character of um, the antagonist. Wheatley, yeah. Wheatley, yes. I was thinking it began with a W. I wanted to say Wilson or something, but yeah. Um, no, I found his character grating and obnoxious. <laughs> See, that's maybe, interesting. Maybe that's it's interesting point. because some people said that he was the best character in the game. Yeah, I know. Some people really like him and some people seem some to Some people really, really like the like humor him. and some people really don't. Yeah, that's funny how that works. Anyway, so uh, getting back to the Talos principle, I felt that there were some really interesting mechanics here with regards to line of sight and other mechanics that we see so often in games, but we see so rarely in puzzle games, which I thought was quite cool. Um, it wasn't just about timing and jumping over things. It wasn't a traditional platformer, but it definitely had platformer elements as well as some kind of weird, neat things and a little bit of outside-the-box thinking uh, the game has been out long enough, I'm going to go ahead and assume that most people who are going to play it have probably played it by now, but it's definitely worth still checking out if you can get it on sale. And um, yeah, there are some puzzles, I'm not spoiling anything in particular, but there are some puzzles where when you finish one section of a puzzle in a given area, the way that you solve one of the other puzzles is actually by placing something in a stupid position within one of the other puzzles, which would prevent you from solving that puzzle, but will then allow you to solve another one in the same area. Does that make sense? <laughs> so are you talking about the collection of the extra bonus stars? No, not specifically. Because, that's, because you have to do that for to collect the bonus stars as well. Yes, of course. But um, there are also certain puzzles that require you to move components within one puzzle area in order to access something in a, a second puzzle area. And See, that's, that's interesting. I don't remember having to do that, but it's mm -hmm. quite possible that you stumbled upon a solution that involves doing that. It is because possible. there's multiple approaches to each puzzle, um, you know, in really? terms of solving them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there a lot of them? I got the impression that they were very, very tightly restricted. At the, to at the start, at the start, that's true. But as you enter the other worlds, yeah, uh, it it, yeah. Uh, it gets uh, a little bit more freeform. I guess that's true. Yeah, thinking. I remember it. because there was a one particular puzzle that I couldn't solve. I don't remember which one it was, but I had to look for a guide, and I was looking. Um, in this video where this particular puzzle was and I was looking at the guy solved this puzzle that I just solved. He solved it in a slightly different way with different positioning of uh, objects. It was kind of interesting to see. Yeah, that's weird. Most of the, like, I guess, yeah, it's just about how your brain works. And then once you have a solution, you stop looking for solutions. Yeah, there's so. some really weird solutions that some people figured out for some of these puzzles. Yeah, that's really cool. I didn't even realize that. That adds a new dimension to the game, actually, knowing that now. What's but, interesting, um, too, is if you... You can you can kind of figure out what the optimal solution is that the devs intended if you start hunting down those extra stars that are seemingly in, you know, very difficult positions for you to catch. <laughs> those are really hard. I actually didn't bother getting those. Uh, I got a few at the start, and then I was... Um, Get, just getting frustrated at what what the hell am I supposed to do, you know? <laughs> I also just wanted to go through the story because I really enjoyed the kind of blend of puzzling and philosophy that the game kind of gave you. Uh, and I like the, uh, the religious uh, in influence of the game too. 
Yeah, um, that felt kind of interesting. I, I liked that they didn't, well, in my opinion anyway, I don't think that they um, they were too heavy-handed with it. No, I think it was a nice, there was a nice balance and it, it was well-framed uh, given that you are playing as an Android too, you know? Mm-hmm. I also liked the, um, I'm also, I'm, I'm almost going to call this that there, there's like two fourth walls in this game. There's the fourth wall of who you are as the character and your, your God, I guess, who breaks the fourth wall by building this world and telling you, you can't do this in the world, even though that is outside the realm of the puzzles, which are the actual game. And then there's a second fourth wall where the computer terminals and the people who are seemingly trying to communicate with you through those terminals also break that second reality, which is kind mm-hmm. of interesting. Yes. And once so. you, you, you can go even deeper if you beat the game. So yes, of course, of course. <laughs> you really need to play this game in a few sittings. You, you, you shouldn't postpone the game because I think you miss out on a very nice kind of subplot there. If you play the game and play a few levels and then the next month you play a few levels, you probably forgotten most of the extra backstory, which I think is a bit of a loss. I think, yeah, you also lose touch with all the different answers that you provided in the terminals. Yeah, I can imagine it's also more difficult to solve the puzzles because you know, if you take enough time between sessions, you won't remember what a particular solution is. Because like the witness, I feel like the further you move into the game, the more you have to, again, use the solutions from the easier stages, reuse them, change them, you know, adapt them to the to the newer puzzles. So you're kind of, you have to keep improving upon your solutions to reach that the was, end. That was actually one area that I, yeah, I liked and simultaneously struggled with, but in some ways I liked it because it made me struggle um, with the puzzle design because I definitely felt that it wasn't just iterative growth on a concept with, uh, with Talos or Talos. Um, I actually felt that in some ways it, went out of its way to prevent you from recycling your solutions. If that makes sense. It wasn't just that you, you should use the same technique, but modify it. It was that you should actually go for a whole new method. But then again, maybe that's yeah, just some, my way ways, of thinking. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Maybe that's just well, my way of seeing it though. I don't know. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. The way, the, but the way it converges is you have a bunch of puzzles where you have to do totally different stuff. And then you have another set of puzzles where you have to do totally different stuff. But when you move on to the next area, you have to combine those techniques and think some extra out of the box, you know, add some flexible thinking to those two solutions. And then you <laughs> yeah. can, then you can move on, but you definitely need that knowledge from the other puzzles. You know what this really makes me wonder? I've wondered this before. How do people come up with all these ideas? I mean, <laughs> do you sit down? I mean, I, I legitimately, genuinely sat down at one point and I thought to myself, okay, if I was going to design a puzzle game, what what kind of puzzles would I do? And I even gave myself the very, very cheaty head start of, I'm going to make an additional puzzle for this game. And I can't remember what game it was, but I had only just started playing it. And I was at work at the time, so I couldn't, I couldn't continue playing it at the time. And I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make up a puzzle for this. And I was immediately stumped. And I thought, yeah, okay. So learning how to do these puzzles is very different from learning how to design the puzzles. <laughs> oh yeah. How do people, man, I just, I have nothing but admiration for these people. There's <laughs> a fascinating there's a fascinating documentary about the witness. Um, is this a no clip? 
documentary by any chance? Uh, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, That's I think cool. it is. Um, where they interview uh, Jonathan Blow, who also made Braid. Mm, okay, um, I remember. And he's Braid. he's yeah. he's one of the guys behind the witness. Um, mm, okay, that's cool. And he explains in detail how he came up with the first puzzle, and then you know how he and the team, because it was a team effort this game, uh, how they kind of came up with all these different um, environmental puzzles and ideas and stuff. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm gonna go and check that out definitely. I think I think it took them a long time from the first prototype to uh, to actually shipping shipping the game and i think there were also a bunch of uh of ideas that they had that they put in the game and then people tried it and then they had to throw out if i'm if i'm remembering correctly but anyway you should go check out that documentary um word of warning though i think it it contains a lot of spoilers so ah okay yeah that's good so maybe you i don't know if they're clearly uh, marked but uh there's maybe some stuff you want to skip yeah definitely Okay, well, let's move on, because I feel like The Witness and The, the Talos Principle are both semi-open world or fully open world. Yeah. They're very iterative learning type puzzles. So they do something... embody the kind of puzzle game that I really enjoy. Yeah, I think they're, in a lot of ways, they are the evolution of your classic puzzle game, because they, they do exactly what you were talking about earlier, where they teach you a given thing, then they build on that thing, and then they build on something else, and then they build on something else, and you end exactly. up with all these multi-layered yeah. mechanics. So in a, in a lot of ways, it's not one puzzle game. It's actually five or six puzzle games all rolled into one with this massive interdependent matrix of puzzles at the end. So it's, it's a very impressive endeavor to be sure. But um, moving on to something that's a little bit different, um, and these are my two entries for this, which are Besiege and Plants vs. Zombies. Now, you could definitely argue that Plants vs. Zombies is not really that much of a puzzle game, um, but I would argue that in a lot of ways it is, because it's mostly about how you arrange your, your different plants and how you're going to defend against various zombie types. Um, in some ways, Plants vs. Zombies is kind of cheaty again like that, because it is a game where it's clearly designed so that you can win. It's not really designed to challenge you until you break and... Yeah, it's, Even, a wave, it's a wave uh, defense game, right? Yeah, it is. It's a wave defense game in which you essentially can plant defensive or you can, you can build defensive structures in a certain format. And that, if that format is essentially like a chessboard and then the zombies are all coming in from one side and you have to kill them off. But they, the zombies have different properties and different abilities. And then the terrain begins to change where you can only build in certain areas and you can't build in others and so on and so forth. But I thought it was a really interesting twist on the tower defense genre because it gets rid of all the really tedious aspects. Sometimes the most fun aspects like path building, but that can also be the most tedious because you're constantly yeah. trying to design the most optimal path, blah, 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 blah. And this, this time it just lets you get right down to the action of blowing things up, which is quite fun. Yeah. I never um, really loved those, those types of games, but I did play Plants vs. Zombies and I thought it was very well made. So, yes. Uh, even if you don't particularly enjoy it, I think you have to respect the quality of it. Um, yes. It was very was, well put together. I was so disappointed when they released Plants vs. Zombies 2 and it was with microtransactions. I know, and I still haven't played it for that reason. Yeah, I, I, I also skipped it, so. Yeah, very sad. Very, very sad. But that first game, man, was uh It was a, a classic. Total, total classic. Yeah, it was a classic. And, uh, I had a lot of fun with that. Also, yeah. again, like a lot of really... I mean, I guess you'd expect this from the, the same team that brought you Peggle, you know, a lot of really out of the box thinking, which I thought was really good. Like some of the zombies were 
it also it could laugh at itself like you had the bungee zombies that would randomly just drop out of the, the sky you had the zombies that, that had balloons tied to them so they could just fly over all your plants until you popped the balloons and <laughs> various other things so i i thought also the the zombies design was just so funny it was really hilarious and you could even design your own zombie which would then lead the charge against you at the end of every wave <laughs> which is really fun yeah it's um, a very humorous game yes um, also yes. shout out to crazy dave Oh, <laughs> act now i'm crazy yeah he was the best character <laughs> it's one of the well it's definitely the best game that they made uh, i think, I think so. it was PopCap, right yeah PopCap, definitely and then my next my next one was besiege have you played besiege are you familiar with besiege no at all? i'm not familiar with that game okay so the concept of besiege is that you are going to build a siege engine which will demolish something. And depending on how far along you are in the game, it will be various things. So the most basic one is I think you have to break a small house and that's it. And you have essentially a, a size limit that you can build your siege engine to. And that's the only requirement. Your siege engine has to work at doing something that's going to level this house. And it can do, do this in, in any number of ways. Um, but one of the really cool things about it is that it's also physics dependent. So you have all sorts of things like motors and springs and rubber bands and uh, crazy stuff. Suspension, you have, um, I believe, hydraulic power at some point, And you have all kinds of weapons that you can employ, like circular saws and cannons and various other things. So for, for blowing up that house, <laughs> you can literally build yourself a platform with a cannon on top and it shoots once and that's it. Um, okay. Wow. Well yeah. done. Mission accomplished. But then you end up, you know, 30 or 40 levels later and you have to be able to enact controlled flight through a minefield <laughs> in the air and then be able to drop bombs on this thing. <laughs> it's although the, that's the cool thing about besiege. You don't have to drop bombs. If you don't want to, you can make a kamikaze craft. If you like, <laughs> you can just fly it into the castle. And if you destroy that, then, you know, mission accomplished. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I recommend you try it. If you like physics-based puzzles, it's terrific. And they're kind of meticulous with their design in some ways as well, where if you just build the gigantic armadillo that is armored on all sides and has tons of like saw blades and stuff on the outside of it, and you think, this will easily just plow through that entire field of enemy dudes, then their bodies begin to start clogging up the saws, and they begin <laughs> to go under your armor, and you you end up getting beached on top of this pile of bodies, and you can't kill the last couple of guys. And you're like, damn it, why? So you end up then going with this like crazy monster truck design, just run everything over because you're angry. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah, it's really it's a lot of fun. It's a real real blast, I would say. But especially when you get into the later levels, it can become very very complex and there are some designs mm -hmm. in there that i've seen people make that are frankly just incredible just ridiculously well thought out controllable yeah. flight like even before controllable flight was supposed to be a thing people figured out how to do it yeah, yeah, yeah. and there were propeller driven aircraft that people could fly around there were people have built lamborghinis in there they've done just about everything <laughs> like it's it's really amazing so i i really love that kind of game where it's totally totally free and and totally open yeah um, that's really cool but that's a lot of fun as well okay so i feel like puzzles are pretty much talked out do you want to take it away with some vr action yes let's yeah, let's yeah, talk yeah. about some vr little vr action okay so vr is kind of interesting um 
I don't have VR. Just full disclosure, I'm not rich enough for VR. We need more viewers. Viewers, it's your responsibility. <laughs> if I can't cover VR, it's your fault. I've been fortunate enough to uh, to get my hands on a VR headset. So I've got an Oculus Rift, um, and I've also got the PlayStation VR. I got the PlayStation oh, VR initially because, well, it was the most affordable <laughs> option on the market. Yeah, so then, then because you uh, because you let yourself down by buying the most affordable option, you then had to buy another one to make up for it. <laughs> and that was that was fun, right? But um, <laughs> then there were a bunch of games on PC that I really wanted to play, but I wasn't gonna uh, buy a HTC Vive, so I waited for the uh, for the Oculus Rift to drop in price. Mm-hmm. And when that thing dro- dropped and dropped in price, that's when I uh, jumped on that and uh, got got myself uh, the Oculus Rift. So my first VR experience was on PlayStation, and I played the included demo disc that shipped with the unit. And the uh, the demo disc has a bunch of demos, including one particular, which is um, a first person experience where you are a part of uh, like a small crime family, and there's a heist that you have to undertake, and you're just thrown in there in VR. Um, and there's a little bit of shooting you have to do. There's a little bit of um, moving around, but it's mostly cover-based shooting for the most part. Yeah. So like Gears of War style type stuff. Yes, but it's first person because you know yeah. you are in there. So you you actually are uh, crouching behind a desk mm-hmm. in in a particular situation, or you are sitting in a car and the, the, there's a a chase sequence going on, and you have to shoot the the bad guys who are on bikes chasing you. Ooh, that sounds cool. That's really nice. Um, so, what would you say, like on a, on a scale of uh, on an immersion scale of uh, I don't know, I'm I'm playing with action figures to um, I'm really doing this myself. I'm actually feeling like I'm breaking the law. Where where would you say you are? <laughs> I'd say it's a solid nine out of ten. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It was it was really impressive. I put that thing on. And I was like, "Whoa, this is nine out of ten would break the law again." <laughs> I <laughs> I knew I knew that VR was something special, but this really really did surprise me. Really? Um, okay, that's cool. Yeah, I I'd, cool. I'd never tried VR before, but it was. Uh, yeah, you, you you just the thing is you are in there, so your coordination, your your hand eye coordination, is it feels nice. Um, yeah. To actually be able to interact with the world. To actually than, be able to interact with yeah. the world. And there's two other things. There's The first thing is scale. Scale's totally different. Mm. So things are actually big when you are in VR. Things that, uh, especially if you have a game that supports both VR and non-VR, and you play in VR afterwards, having gone through the game first, like, say, Skyrim. Skyrim has a VR version, yeah. Everything is so big. So there's a real wow. sense of scale in a way that scale, there isn't. Yeah. Yeah. See, this is the this is the thing I'm really looking forward to about VR. I've got to say this is that I'm I, I don't know if anybody else has this experience, but I was walking along the road with a friend the other day, just having a conversation about whatever, and I just noticed that there was someone walking behind us. I heard the subtle sound of footsteps. And I just turned my head a little bit and caught them in my peripheral vision. And I started moving in behind my friend while he was talking to me to let this other person pass. And after this person was gone, he said, how did you know that person was there? And I kind of, this is maybe a really good example. I realized that I have a lot of peripheral awareness 
that not everyone has. And I often struggle with first-person shooters because I find that the view angle is never wide enough. <laughs> it just isn't. I can't get that same feeling of peripheral vision. And I kind of feel like because of the way that I work in real life, I maybe am very dependent on that. And so when I play in a game that has a limited FOV, it's very, very constrictive. Um, some people are, I'm sure, you know, much better at managing that than I am. But I kind of wonder if getting into VR would actually help a lot with that. It's going to help a bit, but the the thing is, you do not have a lot of peripheral vision with a VR headset because right, most okay. of the screen is in front of you, and this is something I've noticed myself. Hmm. Okay. Um. But it's it's definitely wider than what you're used to. That's that's for sure. Okay. Well, yeah, that would be yeah. It'd be hard if it wasn't. I'm still using a 1080p monitor, so <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So am I. So am I. So. So there's there's a few things that make the the VR experience very interesting. So the first thing is the the, the very tactile nature. You the, the moment you grab these controllers, whether they are the the PSVR ones or the Oculus ones, you you grab something and it immediately clicks in your mind that well, okay, so this is how I grab stuff and you start doing stuff. Yeah, so, so there's, you start recording very natural muscle memory is what you're saying. There's yes, there's this very big problem that a lot of people who do not play video games have when you hand them a controller is they cannot get over the fact that they have to use the controller and they don't know where the button placement is and stuff like that so if sure. you introduce a non-gamer to a game and you tell them you have to press this button and this button they're like oh, i don't know what to do man it's yeah too sure. difficult. but if you give them a vr headset and you tell them this is what you do to grab stuff they grab something and it clicks and they are off to the races so you might say they pick it up very quickly. You, I, yeah. Hey. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. I feel better now. One of the best games to show this off uh, is, it's, it's my noob friendly game. So when, when somebody comes around or when I take the headset along with me to, uh, to a place where there are people who are interested in it, then I always have them play Job Simulator first. Because there's lots of physics. You sadist. Uh, <laughs> there's lots of physics, and it's a really funny game to play. You're one so. of those people that just you're playing, and then you're like, here, here, play the boring game, and then and then I can have no, it. No, but back you sooner. have to you have to ease these people in because if you do, if you put them in in the um, there's in the in the PlayStation VR worlds um, game, quote unquote, it, it contains a collection of games, including the heist one, the London heist. Mm-hmm that I mentioned before. There's also a game that basically has you explore the uh, the the depths of the ocean. And one of the sequences is kind of scary because there's this shark coming at you and he's biting away at the at the cage that you're in. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've heard of from actual people that they they were terrified. Wow. Of this okay. thing happening because they have, you know, fear of sharks. Do you know what? This is another thing that I was actually saying to uh, to my wife uh Amaranta that yes. she's really looking forward to uh, a kind of couple of things like MMOs and then particularly survival games in VR, which I think is going to add a huge amount to the experience as long as the mechanics are done well. But, you know, if you're interested in our opinions and conversation about survival games, we have done this in a previous episode, yes, so I won't, talk, I won't talk about it too long. <laughs> can, you, can you hear Silver? <laughs> yes, we've already done it. Please, <laughs> please, no more, please. Um, but yeah, on a, on a serious note, though. Um, yes. 
we have talked about this before, so go and check out that episode if you are interested in our thoughts on survival games. But I think that would add a lot to the experience. And then my own personal thought was, what about horror games? Yeah, there's quite a few horror games out there already for, uh, yeah, for VR, including um, kind of a on-rails shooter. Oh, yeah, I remember on, you, on PlayStation you VR. streamed that, yes. Yes, and that is really nice too um it's very creepy uh, suffice to say that's not the kind of game that i enjoy playing late in the evening no it's yeah. really it's really scary and there's quite a few jump scares in that game too actually do you know what else would be really good is a game that's kind of pseudo pseudo creepy or surrealist mm-hmm. like bioshock can you imagine yeah, the atmosphere that you yeah, would get in a game yeah. like bioshock because they did so much work establishing the uh you know the what's it called the world there and the the sense of place yeah, yeah, yeah. particularly in rapture i'm i'm not yeah. sure that that skyoshock would be as good <laughs> um in that regard because i think its environments are quite boring but um that's just me anyway so moving back yeah there's VR, a though. there's a beautiful contrast between those two worlds that's for sure yes um yeah so back to <laughs> vr uh, so what have you played in VR? You've played this on on Rails kind of horror shooter. Yeah, the on Rails on horror shooter. There's um I briefly played a game um where you're a tank operator. Oh, that's which cool. is pretty cool, but it's like a futuristic tank, so it's not a historical tank, okay? So Oh, okay. So futuristic tank. Um that's that's really cool. So how did um, they how did they envision that? How did that go? Was it like really cramped and hot feeling like in this tiny narrow area or um kind of but it, it it there was enough room for you to be comfortable right so ah okay that was really cool what else did i play a bunch of of these demos that were included on the demo disc some of which were very short some of which were slightly longer but none of those were super interesting but the one that i did play on psvr as well was super hot yes indeed can we can we do it can we do it super Hot. Super. Hot. Oh, damn, it's so cool. All right, so for anybody who hasn't played the game, that's basically the, I don't know what you, it's almost like the backing track for the the menus and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's really cool, though. So Super Hot is available on Steam as a regular game as well as a VR game. So there's a VR version out as well. Is it worth playing as a regular game? What makes it interesting? Well, I think the regular game is fun, but if you play the VR version, you will be spoiled. So for anybody who doesn't know what Superhot is, Superhot is a first-person shooter, and it's all about bullet time. So when you move, time moves forward. But if you stand still, time does not advance. Actually, yes. I meant to I meant to ask about this. You were streaming this again at one point for our benefit. Um, does it include head movement? If you just yes. look around. Yes. Okay. All right. So gathering information is not free either. That's interesting. No. Well, um, if you move the position of your head, time proceed time proceeds. So time time. Yeah, so if I wanted continue. to look over my shoulder, if I wanted to look behind yes. me. Yes. Yeah. If you just pan from from left to right or up and down that generally does not advance time. Oh, okay. But if you start moving your head from, like you said, from, uh, you, you know, I'm in cover and I want to see what's yeah, you happening behind something. cover. Yeah, I want to peek 
then yeah, you're going to be moving your head. And as such, there's a chance a stray bullet might hit you. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So you have to be careful about this. So wait, you know what? You know what I really want to know about this? Is there any potential for multiplayer here? Well, no, I don't think there is. Because, yeah, the coolest thing I thought about, you know, when I was watching you play it was this is like a turn-based strategy game that ends up being in real time. Because if you ever want to do anything, time progresses. But you can stop as long as you want, whenever you want as well, which is kind of cool. I think it would be very difficult to implement with multiple players. Well, yeah, because how would you how would you it would be time? it would be an exercise in frustration, I think. But there's I mean, if you if you change some mechanics around, yeah, I think it could potentially be interesting. I think it's it's a really neat thing, though, that it's basically like dynamic turn based strategy in a sense. It's beautiful because you have to look at your surroundings and you have to plan ahead as to what you're going to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, it's almost like and, the Matrix, but you have to yeah. actually, it, it's not scripted. It's not just a movie. You have to figure mm-hmm. out what, you, what you're going to do before you do it. Otherwise, you end up getting shot anyway. Yeah, exactly. And it's, the, the, the first time you dodge a bullet in that game is a magical moment. Yeah, I <laughs> Let bet Let me it tell is. you that. It's, oh man, it's so good. Um, oh, one thing that I forgot to mention when I was talking about PlayStation VR Worlds is uh, London Heist, is that that game has um, guns that you need to manually reload. Oh, super no. hot, super hot does not have that. Uh, so is this hot. like that? Is this like that gun range sim where I had to teach you how to reload the guns? <laughs> <laughs> Slightly less complex, but uh, yeah, right, the general okay. idea is you need to basically slam your guns into the magazine. <laughs> and then to reload them. (laughs) So it's slightly less complex. You don't need to worry about safeties. You know, you can just, uh, if you, if you throw the magazine towards the gun, you know, it will, it will end up in there. Yeah. Safety. I I'm, I'm looking forward to the day where we have a fail video, a fail compilation video on YouTube about people trying to shoot things in VR and not turning off the safety. (laughs) Yeah. I look forward to that time. Anyway, (laughs) Like so, someone points puts their gun at you and they're just like, yeah. eh, eh. <laughs> it's just nothing happens. You're like, ah. Anyway. But you would think that this is the most frustrating thing ever, but it's it's a very, very fun experience to just reload your gun in uh, in that game. Yeah, it's I one think of the things you, you don't have in, in Super Hot, but in Super Hot, you can throw your guns at the bad guys and then they shatter. So that's that's cool too, you know? Mm hmm. It's I like, like how a, you have to creatively make use of all the different guns and, and the enemy's guns as you eliminate them. That's really cool. Yeah, I think that's cool. It's but anyway, interesting that you can use them in so many different ways as well. But yeah. anyway, yeah, moving on. Moving on to, uh, yeah, so you you mentioned the, the game where you had to teach me how to oh, you're gonna <laughs> turn off me for this, this now. Yeah, you are. turn off the safety okay. of a gun. Um, which this I mean, is called, this is called hot dogs, horseshoes, and hand grenades. Yes. Okay. So this is another one of your, your favorites. I've watched you play this a long this, time. Yeah. This is a, this is a fun sandbox game. There's mm-hmm. no story. There's no plot. It's just, here's a, a range, a shooting range. Here's a, a gym. There's all these different maps that you can do. There's uh you can basically do a bunch of climbing exercises in that game too. Um, and, but you just happen to have a gun and you have to pop some balloons as you're proceeding through this course, Mm -hmm. uh, which is cool, but there's a bunch of different levels. 
But the fun part is there's this huge amount of guns and explosives at your disposal, but you actually have to learn how to use them, which means yeah, you need to turn off the safety when you start to fire your gun, right? <laughs> um, and you need to learn... Oh my gosh, I remember when you wanted to reload two pistols at the same time and it took you so freaking long to set those two magazines up on the table and then you were like slamming the pistols down. You're like, yes! <laughs> and just started shooting everywhere. It's one of the beautiful things you can do in that game. I know. Although this is one of those things though, I think it's just going to get ironed out as we develop the genre of, well, this, is it a genre? This No, it's a sandbox game, yeah. So This, well, I was going to say the superset of games, which is... Yeah. Uh, is VR. VR. So I don't know. I think that's probably going to get ironed out as we go on. But anyway. The only problem that VR seems to have right now is, is locomotion, aka movement. Yeah. So how is that, how is that handled? Well, some, some games give you options. Ah. Games give you the option of doing teleportation. Some games allow you to just use the stick for movement. So but, this is um, something we don't really have a convention for yet, is what you're saying. Well, the convention seems to be you offer two options. You offer teleportation and you offer uh, general movement using the stick. Those seem to be the two standardized ways. But there's a big caveat there if you want to use the sticks because if you don't do it right, you will throw up. <laughs> Which yeah. is to say, um, there's a variety of methods that developers have figured out by now to restrict peripheral vision when you are moving because what happens is if you are standing in vr and you are moving but you're not really moving your brain thinks something is wrong yeah and that feels very uncomfortable now some people have this worse than others um of i course, remember yeah. someone trying out vr and this was a, a racing game racing games by the way also lots of fun in vr uh the one that i was trying out was uh, drive club oh uh, yeah i remember um, that and I passed this on to somebody and they tried it and they came to the first corner and they just felt so ill. They, I had to pull the headset off of their head. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And, and this, this person was ill for an hour and that was just one corner. So yeah, personally, I didn't have any issues with that. But the first time I played Skyrim and I used regular movement without the restrictions, it's vomit inducing. But some games definitely have it worse than others because I played Wipeout. Wipeout HD also got a VR mode. And there's, if you, if you, if you put on the most kind of aggressive way of movement in that game, then you move along in the cabin of the kind of uh, jet propelled plane that is you racing on, on this track. The interesting thing is at certain points when you want to get a boost, you have to do a 360 degree spin with your vehicle. So you, you will, literally spin your entire field of vision which you would think is vomit inducing but it was actually quite all right so wait are you talking about the one where you had the frame of reference of the rest of the kind of craft around you or are you talking about total free vision with no reference i'm talking about you you have the craft around you yeah 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 right but there's multiple ways you can do the 360 degree spin ah uh, i see okay you can have the VR headset be clipped to the track. So when your vehicle spins, you see the vehicle spin, but your face, you don't spin along with the vehicle, right? Uh, but okay. there's also an yeah, option yeah, yeah. that you are, it, as if you are in the cockpit and then you spin alongside the vehicle, 
but then of course to you it seems like the track like you're spinning the track right yeah sure mm-hmm. which is which is a bit a bit yeah dodgy <laughs> uh, it, it 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 also takes a moment for you to realize where am i exactly after that flip happens so that's kind of interesting mm-hmm. you have to brace for that you know okay now i'm going to pull this trigger and it's going to take me like half a second to know where i am exactly and how how i need to do the air braking but um yeah, that's interesting. Like the kind of recovery time almost. But there's multiple settings for that game. So you can you can disable there like significantly decrease the the field of vision, which makes it much much more like you're just playing the game regularly on a regular monitor, but mm-hmm. still gives you that and that's one of the big things that I I didn't get to mention uh so far is the the actual depth the perspective that you can see you can you can make uh, an educated guess as to oh this corner is coming right now and i can take that corner like you would take a corner when you're driving a car when you drive a car you look at where you're turning right mm-hmm. you can't do that when you're just looking at the game on a screen but you can do that now in vr so yeah. i that once that clicked with me that oh man i can just look at these corners and i automatically make them correctly you know it's crazy mm-hmm. i was i was actually really good at, at wipeout hd before mm-hmm. but it, t- it took me a little bit of time to grasp it but it's the superior way to do the racing because it's it's much easier once you can see where the corners are i mean you can see the corners when you look at a screen but it's the depth perception that changes everything right okay Fair enough. So that's that's really cool. Well, that's another thing I've struggled with in games before is depth perception. I often find that, especially if I go with a, a wide field view to combat the issue I was talking about previously, you end up with your depth depth perception getting really screwed up, and then yeah, yeah. So those are the those are very big benefits of VR. Mm-hmm. How do they handle the depth perception? Is it just because it's two separate eyes and you get the three yeah. D effect? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen a 3D television, but you know, or a 3D movie for that matter. I've I've never I thought those were gimmicky, but um, for VR, it's it's natural, of course, because you have two lenses projecting a slightly different image, giving you that actual depth perception that you don't have otherwise. Well, the way you would have it almost in real life, yeah. Yeah, it's exactly like in real life. You well. can you can now guess. Not, not to play the devil's tell. advocate, but it is still no. a simulacrum. It's not yeah, exactly yeah, sure, the same sure, thing. Sure. That, uh, in, in combination with the, uh, the, the actual perception of how big things are, like the size perception is uh, one of those things that will really shock you at first. Yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this now. It's too bad I don't have more money. If you, if you have the opportunity to, uh, to go to uh, like a convention or an event where they have a VR setup, I'd recommend doing that. That's uh, how I know a bunch of friends of me actually had their first VR experience. Like this was before, way before uh, PSVR was on the market. This was with the first Oculus Rift prototypes. All oh, right. And then people got a taste for VR there. That's really cool. During these events, that was really, really cool. Yeah, and of course, with that kind of a price tag, they really have to, you know, get you to try it somehow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because other, I mean, otherwise, who's going to buy that? It's not cheap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Only the serious, serious fanboys. I mean, the technology at this point is at a very early stage, but it's super impressive, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what they're doing with it. Um, 
But yeah, the the one big problem so far is locomotion, aka movement. But that's about it. One one other game that I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. It's one. It's a game that blew up this month, actually. So that would be May of 2018, and that is Beat Saber. Oh boy, here it goes. So I'm gonna go go to sleep. <laughs> I'll be back in 20 minutes. <laughs> no, I won't. Uh, I won't talk about that that long because. Um, well, I mean, otherwise we're going to have a two-hour podcast again. So Beat Saber is a, a rhythm game in VR. Now, it's not the first. The first game was uh, Audio Shield in VR, and the idea behind Audio Shield was you can have the game generate kind of patterns for you, and then there's these balls flying at you, and you have to shield yourself using these two shields that you have. So you have two controllers, so you have two shields. One is blue, one is orange. And then you have to hit the balls that are coming at you, deflect them with the correct shield. So it's basically Guitar Hero, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, song, you would, or, you know, it's shields, but there's also gloves, so you can, like, box at the notes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so a, lo- a lot of people played that for, um, for their entertainment because it was fun, because it was a rhythm game in VR. And then Beat Saber got announced. Indeed. And the world exploded. And it seemed like a really, really cool game. So earlier this month, on the 1st of May, they released their first pre-release. So it's it's still in early access. But it's a rhythm game with notes flying at you. But instead of you having shields, you have lightsabers. And you have to cut these things in half as they come at you. Mm-hmm. And you have to cut them in, in a certain direction. And you have to cut them correctly, because it's a rhythm game, of course, on the yep. beat. Indeed. As they fly in. So at, at first sight, this looks like an incredibly easy game. It looks like a kind of simple game, but it's it's a ton of fun. And the harder the difficulty, you know, it's it's ridic- expert difficulty is ridiculous. So has anyone done through the fire and flames yet? Or yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that that was uh, the that was the coup de gras really for um, what's it called for Guitar Hero? Yeah, there's a video on that uh, yeah. on, on YouTube already for that. Somebody came up with a like a level editor right away. Yeah. Okay. And then people started making their own uh, tracks. Uh, the company making the app or like making the game are still working on an official editor, which hopefully allows them uh, to set up, you know, a, a more legal <laughs> uh, system. Because right now what we have is basically somebody set up a fan website where people share their tracks that they've made. And, you know, they have to include the actual audio files as well. But a bunch of those are really popular songs, which are not licensed. So you could technically say, well, you know, that's not very legal. Uh, Yeah, they're supporting a platform that allows copyright infringement very easily. So, which is unfortunate. I'm sure that it's not really intentional, but... Yeah. So I I have a, a Spotify subscription. I wish you could just plug that in there and, you know, just either dynamically generate levels or uh, download presets that other people made, that would be brilliant. But uh, it's difficult to do that uh, with the streaming platform. So sure. Yeah, I can understand how that would technically be. speaking, that's that's rough to do. And also, you know, is that something that Spotify would allow? <laughs> yeah, or even the the artists in question, or even the artists. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's, it's, this is one of the things where copyright really works against the potential fun factor of the game. Yeah, even though nobody really would have to lose. Yeah. It's so difficult that probably in a lot of cases it won't happen. 
Exactly. There's. I remember playing a game called Tap Tap Revenge on my phone in the early days of mobile devices when I had an iPod Touch. Uh, me and my buddy would play this this game called Tap Tap Revenge, and you would it's also a rhythm game. You would also play it. it. It eventually got bought by Disney, and they just straight up killed the game. It had three popular installments, and at the end there were like four hundred tracks. So what I would love to see for this game is that it gets supported by people um, in the music industry who make it their job to license like a pack. Like imagine a Imagine Dragons a music track pack for 10 bucks or something. I would totally buy that stuff because these, the gameplay is so much fun. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to do all kinds of cool themes and, and uh, special environments in VR alongside the tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just such a fun and visceral game as you play. So it's kind of become my my go-to workout game now. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. For the so last that's... few days, I've, I've actually said, you know, I'm going to put some time aside to play this game for an hour every day. Mm-hmm. Get some exercise because, frankly, you know, I have a programming job, so I sit behind my desk all the day. <laughs> Yeah. Which, uh, you know, is not that nice. And then at the end of the day, of course, I don't feel like going on a run because sometimes I get home late. Sometimes I just don't feel like running or doing anything else. But this is really like, man, this is an intense game if you play on the harder difficulties. You know what else, though, as well? It's giving you a better range of motion than you would generally get. I I generally disagree with the concept that running is is a like the best way for you to exercise. It's bad for your joints, especially if you live. Yeah, in I was just kind of I was just using it as an example. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, okay, I know what you mean, but mm. still, like even if you were going to go and do something else, it's kind of yeah. yeah. I, I really feel like the range of motion and the the activity and the also the interest that you're going to have in doing it is yeah. going to give you more generally than just you know running on a treadmill or whatever and staring at a wall. That's always a, a little bit of a drag when you go to the gym. At least yeah. if you're if you're like me, that's a little bit of a drag. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, okay. So VR is pretty awesome. I yes, think that's uh, that almost goes without saying at this point. It sounds amazing. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, for anybody out there who already has it, you lucky bastards. I hope you enjoy it. Um, and to people who haven't had the opportunity to try it out, if there's some kind of event nearby where you can try it out, I urge you to go and try it out yourself because it's going to click and you're going to be amazed and you're going to think, geez, I wish I knew more people who had this so I could play this more regularly. Yeah. And maybe you want to go and save. I actually had a buddy come over to play on PlayStation VR and I said, man, so what do you think? And he said to me, I'm going to order one tonight. <laughs> That's what he said wow. to me after playing it. So. My yeah. personal recommendation would be to try it out at a friend's house or at a, a convention or an event, and then maybe wait for the second generation or the third generation product. If you, it's it's probably gonna either break out then and massively lower in price, or uh, it's gonna stagnate. Um, but I think I think there's interesting times ahead in terms of VR. I think the biggest bottleneck too right now is the screen resolution. As soon as we can get that up higher, then everything's going to look a lot crisper. Not to say that stuff looks very unsharp, but it's 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 clear it's still kind of blurry. You forget hmm. 
once you've spent more than five minutes in the headset, you don't think about, oh, I can see pixels. You're like, wow, these notes are flying at me and I have lightsabers. That's what you're thinking. But, you <laughs> but know, then you take it off and you can't see You take it off clearly. and you're like, yeah. whoa, real life is so sharp, man. Man, high death is amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow minds once we have that, uh, that higher resolution. But it, it, it's taken gaming a while to move to high resolution as well. I mean, it took years and now we're kind of moving to 4K. And what you would want ideally on a VR headset is four to eight K per eye. So that's still going to take a while before we have acceptable performance there. Right now we have about two K, uh, pixels per eye per eye. Yeah. Per eye. Um, and the, oh yeah. The other thing of course is the headset runs at 90 Hertz. So it's a high refresh rate screen because if it's not you know, when you look around, it will feel sluggish. Well, not to mention severe motion sickness potential. Yeah, exactly. Because of the laggy movement and things like that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, okay. I think that's a lot to look forward to. And uh, speaking of waiting a while for things, why don't we jump into turn-based strategy games? Oh, ho, ho. wow. That oh, was yeah. a beautiful segue. Thank you. Thank you. See, the thing about turn-based strategy is I can talk about turn-based strategy and specifically Fire Emblem for about four hours, I think. So for almost as long as you spend playing it every day. <laughs> <laughs> if I wanted to. Um, but I, I, I'll try to keep it brief here. Um, so Well, thanks for that. Moving on to the next topic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, indeed. Uh, yeah, so... So this is this is another one that I think is is much more yours. I don't really do any turn-based strategy. I think the only turn-based strategy I've ever done is probably XCOM. Oh yeah, that's right. It's not on the list here. Yeah, I know it's not on the list, but I just I just remembered it. Like my my trauma block failed, and I remembered that game. <laughs> I was like, no. Um, <laughs> so yeah. XCOM. Fuck the is, hit rates on that game, man. Holy uh, shit. Yeah, let me go and take my pills again, real quick. Um, <laughs> Legitimately, that is a game that I really, really want to love, but I, I fucking despise the level of RNG in that game. And yes, I, I understand. I understand. Every time I mention this in front of any fan of the game, they they sit back like a professor behind their desk and they give me the lecture about how it's all about risk management and that's the strategy <laughs> of the game i fucking understand that doesn't make it any less obnoxious when you fail an 85 and then a 95 and then a 98 and then a 99 and then something else that's also ridiculously i'm sorry but the odds of all those things failing <laughs> at the same time are vanishingly small okay stop don't tell me about how risk management, if you have every dude in your crew firing at the same enemy and that enemy has one health, you expect it to die. I don't expect you to run at me and turn me into a zombie, Mr. Bond. I expect you to die. Um, but yeah, that, I found that very frustrating. I really wanted to like the game and I like the premise of the game. I like the the way the game works, I like the mechanics. I think everything was really straightforward. It was really well put together. It was fun. Um, did not like the RNG. Okay, I can totally understand that. And when I played XCOM, and this was um, Enemy Unknown that I played, I haven't played XCOM 2 yet. Uh, sure. 
which has been out for a few years now, but I always say I'm going to get around to it because it's a kind of, it's, it's, it's a turn-based strategy game. So, you know, I like those, but uh, I haven't gotten around to them yet. I, it's mm-hmm. maybe it's because I don't love aliens. I'm not as keen. Yeah. I'm not as keen on the second game either. I feel like the first game was really well-defined in terms of its scope and its art style and things. And then the second game just kind of felt like it wandered a little bit in terms of how it presented things. Like the concepts are solid. Um, the mechanics are also solid, but I'm not, I wasn't as keen on the premise, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I believe the premise was you lost the original war against the aliens, right? Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's that. That's a very minor thing. That doesn't bother me that much. It was more the way the worlds are built and the themes and the visual the visual themes that are present. I just didn't find it as as visually appealing. And I, not to be not to be a weirdo, but part of what I like about games is the way they look and the way they feel and the way I I communicate on an emotional level with with a game and how I'm interacting with it. And yeah, I don't think it, that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> when it, well, yeah, but when it, when a game loses that ability to immerse me because I'm looking at this and I'm like this is fucking ridiculous. Like I'm okay. sorry, what what the fuck am I looking at? Then it hmm. loses something for me. I don't enjoy it as much. And so although, so what part of the aesthetic was turning you off specifically? I think it was the odd combination of the totally alien world that wasn't a totally alien world and the way that it, the art style did not seem anywhere near as defined and and decisive as it did in the first game because i mean in the first game the aliens were goofy looking yeah there's no there's no doubt about that but it felt like a really strong theme right. of of caricature style art almost like bioshock bioshock has the signature art style so and i haven't played the second game so i i yeah, so the I second can only game, go by the recollection of what I saw when I played uh, when I saw Mr. Jeers stream it a bit. Yeah, okay. And it didn't look that different from the first game. I think it was the design of the aliens, the design of the environments. They just kind of looked like this hybridization of what was in the first game mm-hmm. and some new ideas, and then what was it like the the kind of human world and the way it had advanced. And I don't, I just didn't. It just didn't click with me. Maybe that's, it's it's a that's weird fair. Thing. Um, maybe it just didn't click, but I mean, like I say, I think the mechanics look really solid. The gameplay as a whole, looks really solid, but again, I will not play that game because okay. it made me so angry. I nearly threw my computer out the window at one yeah, point. Okay. So I want to talk about the RNG bullshit for a moment. Indeed. Okay. Please. Um, you have the mic. I, I know, uh, that RNG can be very frustrating. Um, I've played a variety of Fire Emblem games, which have some of them have different RNG generators, basically different types of number generation. Uh, some of them are more punishing than others, but XCOM in particular did feel a bit, tad bit perhaps too punishing. But, you know, I'm a casual pleb sometimes yeah, uh, and a safe I. scummer. So what I would do is if I thought a really bullshit thing happened, I would just reload the save. And I remember for the original XCOM, there's a setting that you can actually uh, select that the same RNG will, that RNG will be basically locked so you can have a seed occur at the start of the game and that that seed is used always. So if you reload, you don't get a different outcome, but I turned that off or it's off by default, I think. Yeah, it's called um, the save scum option. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. So when you reload, you can have that, you know, 
one percent hit uh one percent hit chance that you failed um succeed or you know the 99 percent uh crit chance that you had uh, that resulted in a non-crit you can fix that yeah i've had, I've had feels... 100 i've had 100 hit and crit fail yeah to me know. that's bullshit if it's 99.9 <laughs> then at least tell me you know if it says 100%, I expect it to work. Mm, yeah. And I'm not going to gamble my guy's life by running him in there on his own, you know? Yeah, maybe it was a bug, maybe it was not. But, you know, that's super frustrating, and I totally get that. And that's why I guess I never I never played the DLC or the expansion of uh, XCOM Enemy Within, Enemy right? Enemy Within, yeah. I never played that. I just or played the, the base War. game. I actually started off uh, with the base game thinking I was going to play the expansion afterwards, but I was done with the game after my initial playthrough. I thought it was fun, but I didn't want more. I was I was happy. Yeah, I know what you mean. I tried to do a second playthrough and I just I couldn't do it. And then Long War was released, the the huge oh, overhaul yeah. mod, and I was thinking, oh man, I really want to try all this stuff, but, mm. but yeah. it's not gonna fix what I hated about the game. Yeah. If you really so, love the game and there's a bunch of people out there who love it, I'm looking at you, Mr. Jeers then you will love the mods they put out. But to me, I'm more of a you know a different kind of turn-based strategy guy. So I want to talk about two other games in particular. Okay, shoot. That have turn-based elements. With some RNG? Are you going to talk about Fire Emblem or? As well, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. No, actually three games. Uh, let's start off with Fire Emblem because last time we talked about XCOM uh, in a private conversation, you and me, the thing I said was the reason why I like Fire Emblem more is because while there's chance involved, for the most part, you have every you can have everything under control. You don't have you don't necessarily have everything under control, but you can have everything under control in the game if you're not playing the most ridiculous difficulty, uh, which is aptly called lunatic mode. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> At least it's uh, it's all on the tin, and you know what you're getting yes. yourself in for. So. Um, so I've played through most of the localized Fire Emblem games, including a bunch that were originally released in Japan and then got a fan translation patch. So I've played basically all the games uh, from the Game Boy Advance on, so Fire Emblem 6 and later. The only ones that I haven't played, and those are coming up soon for me, I'm going to start playing them, are the Wii game and the GameCube game. So uh, Path of Radiance and Radiant Dawn uh, are the titles of those games. I haven't played those, but I really want to play those. There's a good emulator for that too. Um, it's kind of interesting because those two games have turned into a collector's item. They, uh, you can buy really? those uh, for about three times the original price. <laughs> Wow, that they were worth. Uh, yeah, so th those are very hard to find physically. Um, but you know, there's there's a variety of ways to obtain the game illegally, of course. But if you want a legal copy, it's incredibly difficult to find, and there does not seem to be any interest from Nintendo, at least, to uh, provide a um, an emulation option because they do have emulation uh, on their consoles on the Wii U, for example. They had a a bunch of emulation options for a bunch of platforms, but oh, they've okay. never done. Uh, they've never done a um, a GameCube emulator, I think. Although maybe I could be mistaken, but they've never released those games digitally. 
right? So I've purchased all the Fire Emblem games digitally that I could buy, basically. So mm-hmm. the Game Boy Advance games, I bought those and played those on my Wii U. Um, I know it's at this point, it's easier to just download the ROM and <laughs> play it in an emulator, but uh, yeah. you know, why not get them legally if you can? So that's what mm-hmm. I did, and I played them that way. Yeah, no, that's always good. Um, it's kind of tricky too if you play on the Wii U with this thing because you can only have one safe slot or one state that you can save. If you if you use an emulator, you can have a bunch of safe states set up, which uh, makes it kind of easy to cheat the permadeath mechanic of the game. <laughs> Um, Whoops! Uh, didn't didn't just spoil that. <laughs> but um, yeah, so um, the classic Fire Emblem games have a permadeath mechanic, like XCOM does. So yep. if a guy dies, they're dead permanently for the rest of the game. Yep, that's it. Um, but the more recent games uh, also have a casual option. So when a character dies, they're just out for the current mission, and they will be available again in the next mission. So when you say mission, are you talking about like a region, or are you talking levels. about just that one? Right. Okay. I'm talking about levels. Yeah. Yeah, so they're actually out for a while if you lose them in the first battle. Yeah, they're well, if you lose them during the first stage of the game, during the first level, they're dead for the remainder of that level, but they come back during the second level. Yeah, but you'll but still lose access to But depending on the length a... of that level, you potentially yeah. lose out yeah, on yeah, a yeah. lot of experience and, you know, mm-hmm. a unit could potentially become irrelevant just because they died too many times in a map. Yep. So you still feel like there's a, a punishing handicap associated with death. It's not just a freebie. There's a certain, um, yeah, there's a certain handicap, but it's a it's a minor one. If you want okay. a more casual, it's it's called casual mode if you don't have permadeath on. Um, and that's exactly what it's like. It's very casual. If you're new to the franchise, this is a fantastic way of playing the game. And if you get RNG screwed, it's not too bad. You don't have to restart the level because your character or your favorite character will be back, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's a cool way to get into the game. And that's how I got into the game. I played my first Fire Emblem game on 3DS and it was casual mode. And to be honest, looking back at me playing that game for the very first time as somebody who's played, you know, a lot of them, a lot of the Fire Emblem games, including ones where permadeath is not a something you can turn off i was i didn't know what i was doing (laughs) you know i was just throwing my units at these enemies and (laughs) seeing what sticks you know but once you once you up the difficulty a bit you have to really start looking okay so how many how many um positions can i move my unit so fire emblem is i mean i haven't even explained what the game is like you have a grid there's a bunch of units on the grid it's kind of like XCOM in the same way right um you position units um, it's turn-based, so you move, and then the opponent opponent moves. Um, your units have certain stats, like in an RPG, um, and those stats reflect how well they will do in combat. Uh, it reflects how much damage they can take, how much magical damage they can take, how quickly they will move, if they will attack twice, etc. So you have to look at a unit's stats, at their class, at the kind of weapon they're using, and then you can have them attack another unit. Mm-hmm. So you have to plan things ahead. Uh, you have to look at the map. Which units do I take with me on this mission? Because you cannot take your entire roster of units with you, mm-hmm. um, which is fun. But yeah, so the first time I played this game, I was just throwing stuff at enemies and seeing what sticks, right? 
Um, I didn't even realize that there were sometimes maps where you could recruit some of the characters who were enemies. So if you if you bring your lord to them, you can recruit them. I didn't know that. So I was halfway through the game when when I was reading on upon on you know how to properly play the game, and then somebody said, you know, make sure to collect all the recruitable characters, and I was like. Say what? Wait, no, what? I, I must have missed. <laughs> I must have missed at least a few, and, and yeah, I sure did. I missed like two, so I went back and restarted the game. <laughs> wow! I was ten hours in, but I was having a lot of fun. So um, yeah, so I played through the game, and then I, I played a bunch of the other games. I got better at the game. Uh, I have to say, the first game that I played after Awakening Casual Mode was uh, Fire Emblem Seven. So that was the first Fire Emblem that was put out in the West. It had a really good tutorial where it teaches you the mechanics, but there's no casual mode. So it was really rough for me mm -hmm. as I was really learning how to play the game. Uh, but then I kind of fell in love with the genre and uh, with the franchise and was like, wow, okay, so this is really cool. <laughs> and then I played through all the other games. And recently, I think it was uh, earlier this year, I played through Awakening on hard mode, on classic mode. So I upped the difficulty a notch and put on permadeath and you know i've played through a bunch of these games uh so it's not exactly new but it's it's not easy the especially the beginning is very difficult because as you proceed through the game there's more kind of loot and stuff you can grind for a bit but at the start of the game it's rough mm -hmm. uh, i even attempted uh one of the a run <laughs> uh doing um the lunatic mode that i was talking about earlier and that mode is not a mode that you can actually beat every time. Sometimes you have to reset the map and look at the kind of uh, stats that the units get. And then you can say, okay, I think this is beatable. And and then take on the first map. Mm -hmm. As you proceed through the game, it gets more doable, but uh, mm -hmm. it's crazy punishing sometimes. Anyway, the, the, the big difference that I found between uh, Fire Emblem and then uh, XCOM was the predictability of, you know, what what you're going to take fire. Okay. So how bad is it if I get hit? You know, you don't necessarily know how much damage you'll be taking from every enemy. You, you have a bit of an inkling, uh, but there's a possibility that some alien you haven't spotted yet just pops up and shoots your guys. Yeah. So basically because you have these dead zones around where your characters can't see and the aliens seem to know where you are and they can manipulate your line of sight in that way that's really frustrating think, and then on top of that aliens yeah. that you did not know were there can just appear mm -hmm. yeah see and, and so i think that is the most frustrating part of xcom because you don't know what's going to happen now you can save scum and then you know but in a fire emblem game generally speaking with a few exceptions there's some there's a few fog maps where you don't see where the enemies are but those are very few there's maybe three or four of them that I, I can remember in the entire franchise. And then you had torches you could light, and then you would temporarily see who was on the map. You could analyze and say, okay, so I know the guys are here and here. So you would have all the information and you'd have to figure out a tier, um, like a, a way to beat the level. And in XCOM, sometimes what you did was like a gamble. <laughs> but, you know, I can appreciate both. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just maybe a, a quick note on that. Like, I don't have a problem with the concept of risk management. I have a problem with things that you have absolutely no way of of managing or controlling or handling, where even if you play in the optimal way, there's a very high chance that at some point you will just lose your whole squad and wipe. 
Yeah, 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 exactly. And especially with panic mechanics being what they are in XCOM, where one guy gets killed as a result of them getting killed, the next guy panics and then shoots the remaining two women in your squad at dead. And like, that's it. You like, have to be really unfortunate to have that happen, though. I've had that happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I feel so bad for you. Yep. I have <laughs> lost four out of a six person team in one oh, turn. Oh, wow. Yeah. And yeah, yeah okay. So that was... I understand why. I think I understand why you wanted to throw your computer out of the window now. Yep. <laughs> yep, you do. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, as you were saying, moving on before I throw my current computer out the window. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's two more games. And I think we can. After that, we can actually call it an episode. Otherwise, we have our, another two-hour special. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we're all good. So, yeah. Um, so there's two more games. Uh, first one that I wanted to mention is uh, a game that I've been playing a lot lately, and I've kind of mentioned it before under the real-time strategy uh, component, and that was um, Total War. Mm-hmm. Total War games. Total War games have a real-time segment where you fight the battles on uh at certain spots uh on the map in real time so your 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 army faces off with a bunch of units against the enemy's army but if you play a campaign then you start off on a world map and it's a turn-based strategy because you actually take turns uh taking uh, conquering areas uh, regions and constructing buildings setting up uh, armies, ambushes, etc. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool. And I really like that. I, I've i always loved the Total War campaigns. I know there's people who play the game exclusively for the battles in real time. But I'm kind of the opposite. I play the game almost exclusively for the campaign, which is turn-based. Mm, and then okay. if I really have to fight a battle because I know this is going to be either like really close or... It's almost uh, me facing off against unsurmountable odds. Then, yes, I will take on the general role and I will fight. Yeah, <laughs> you know, jump but, into the um, command seat and uh, yeah. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you you win a a victory that if you had to auto resolve because that's an option. You can you can decide. So when you fight, when you fight a battle, when two armies clash for a particular region, you have the option to either auto resolve the battle. And that takes into account, uh, well, a bunch of factors and also put some RNG on the line, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just about the size of uh, the stack that you're putting in. Uh, if it's a close battle, then auto-resolve could, retur- uh, could you know, be a very bad thing or a very good thing. But most of the time, if you have an army that is twice the size, RNG won't screw you, of course, because that is just an overwhelming victory for you, for your side, right? Yeah, sure. Um, so some battles you can safely auto-resolve, but sometimes you encounter a situation wherein um, a battle occurs or you're planning to move a bunch of armies and then the enemy also moves a bunch of armies and it's a massive battle that you have to fight in real time. And then I don't mind jumping in and doing this epic battle. And especially if you're doing co-op like, I'm, like I've been doing with uh, Lilliputter recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the fun things is you can actually hand over a portion of your army and have your co-op partner in the campaign map you're kind of playing your turn separately of course yeah but once you hit those real-time battles you can say okay i'm going to give you like the cavalry and you just focus on charging the enemy or i'm going to give you the archers and make sure you can kind of uh, you know run away from the infantry when they approach you or <laughs> try to dodge the cavalry <laughs> charges you know 
I remember uh, doing a, a fun battle at the start of the game where, uh, where Lely gave me just one unit of cavalry. Just one unit of cavalry. So that's 60 heavily armored, uh, you know, knights on horses. Mm -hmm. And then he commanded the rest of the army. And um, <clears throat> I had like 150 kills with my horses. Wow. <laughs> like with my knights, it was pretty crazy. And then, you know, the average kill count for a unit was 30. Jeez. And I was just running down, just running down archers all the time. Yeah. And this is, and this is kind of, this is kind of this is supposed to be realistic as well. It's worth noting. So this is not like a, a hack and slash zombie game or something where it's like, oh, I made 5,000 kills. Yeah. Well, it's semi-realistic. Yeah. It's semi-realistic, but there's also a, a realism toggle uh, to, to make it even more realistic. But yeah, there's all kinds of things going on in the battlefield, like morale and stuff. So if you take in a cavalry charge uh up the ass your infantry is going to run away because their morale just drops if, if they get charged um sure yeah uh and then there's things you can do to counter that and stuff but it can be an incredibly deep game um but i really love the campaign of that it's uh it's kind of like civilization which was the final game that i'm i'm going to bring up now mm -hmm. uh where you just want to play one more turn it's so much fun and you think oh man okay so i've got this plan for the next turn okay let's do that and then, oh man, but now this just happened and I got to play another turn. Yeah. Okay. Let's do one more. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then before you know it, it's 4am and you're wondering, geez, I have to go to work tomorrow at 7am. What am I doing with my life? You know? Um, and then you go back and take one more turn. <laughs> and then you take one more turn and then it's 7am and you have to stop because you actually have to get. <laughs> this reminds me of the episode of South Park. Yeah. <laughs> now, I have to be honest. That hasn't happened with me. Uh, it hasn't been. Uh, that late but um like i've had i've had days when i planned you know i'm gonna do an hour of civilization then it, and then it ends up being seven hours of civilization you know oh boy um it's saturday you know it's a saturday and uh, it's uh, it's uh, just afternoon and i'm like okay so what am i gonna do um well i have a few a few plans i have some stuff that i want to do in the afternoon but um let's start some civilization while you know to kill some time and then before you know it oh man Mm -hmm. it's evening already oh no all right you know i've wasted the entire day might as well just keep going and then you know before you know it it's midnight <laughs> that has happened to me before but yeah that's so bad at a certain point you have to say stop you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um no, i'm with you i'm kind of it's kind of fun because co-op uh cooperative uh turn-based games are fun too but the big problem with that is the turn time tends to you know get really long near the end of the game sure uh, which which can be frustrating, and you just need a a lot of time to play through a single campaign, whether it's Total War or whether it's uh, Civilization. Because if you're playing a regular sized map, it's it's like maybe ten fifteen hours at least. Sure. To clear a game, if you're doing the Mortal Empires map on Total War Warhammer Two, which is basically the big campaign map from the first and the second game, and they slammed it together to make a very big, like mega ultra awesome, <laughs> massive map. Yeah. Then yeah, it's probably like, I estimated when we started playing the co-op mode, we, I, I basically said to, to, to Lily Putter, look, we're going to play this map. Okay. But it took us 25 hours to do Warhammer one's map. Wow. And that was with, with a lot of auto resolving. So we did only a few battles, uh, you know, actually on the battlefield. So I said, you know, this is twice the landmass of that. 
But it's not just as simple as, oh, this is going to take twice as long. This is possibly taking three times as long or mm-hmm. hell, even four times as long. So this, we went into this knowing we're going to keep playing this over a long period of time in chunks, knowing that this could take upwards to maybe, I don't know, 75, 100 hours maybe to clear this one. It's it's a massive map. Mm-hmm. Uh, and quite frankly, I don't think I would have tried playing this massive map myself if it was just me. Right, okay. Just because it would take too long. Because it would take too long. And I have this this thing when a new Total War game comes out and if I, if I have a week off, I will just... Um, put a few hours of every day of uh, of that week off that I have in a Total War game that I haven't finished yet, like I will do the campaign. And that way it's doable. Because otherwise, I'm sitting there just wasting my weekends away playing <laughs> playing a Total War game. I mean, it's not wasted, of course, because it's fun, but there's all kinds of other stuff I want to do, you know, like record a XP Games, for example, or, oh, you know, yeah. something like that, you know. <laughs> Um, or, you know, real life stuff. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Every now and again. Responsibilities that we all have. Yeah, and, and, you know. I get you. So it's, it's, it's sometimes difficult to find time for those long games. And then, you know, when you, when you do find the time, you disappear for two months. Uh, <laughs> yeah, almost like when you were playing Persona. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> that was the thing that I was thinking of. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, that's what happens. Uh, but if you can find the time to to play the game in chunks, that's fun too. I found so as long as you don't stop playing it, mm-hmm. you know. If you if you take a break for two months, I I think it's hard to just get back into it. I think that that goes for any game. Turn based strategy is really cool, but it it can be and it usually is time consuming. Um, so actually, let me let me just list my play times of the of the different uh, games that I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. So, Civilization Five uh, specifically, uh, I haven't actually played Civilization Six a lot because when that came out, there were a bunch of other games uh, releasing at the time. Um, so I never really got around to it, and I found that I for the two or three hours that I did play it. I didn't feel like it was a significant improvement over the previous game. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, there were some changes, and it's 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 good looking. Um, there's a different kind of art style now. Um, I remember you mentioning this before, actually. Yeah, and it's a fun it's a fun game, but um, it never hooked. You know, it hooked me like the previous game did because the previous game is a game I've played for over two hundred hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't generally play games for hundreds of hours unless they're either really good or I played them when I was younger, when I had a lot of free time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the game you've played the most was Dota, right? Um, yeah, probably my most played game of all time, yeah. Which was in the thousands of hours, right? Uh, 2.6K two, 2. hours, yeah. Yeah, I've never had a game that I've played more than 250 hours i think the top yeah i would like to game on i would Steam. like to point out that that was basically over several years as well well yeah i mean so. for me uh for civilization that was the same mm-hmm. over like three years or something mm-hmm. um but you know if you've been playing a game for nine or ten years then that's understandable if that's been your daily game i know there's people who've played league of legends for five thousand hours you know sure 
or, or guild wars you know if, if that is the if that is your game then it makes total sense right mm -hmm. that you've played it that much but me i tend to go from one game to another so when a game comes along that i play a lot like civilization um you know i tend to i tend to notice that it's usually turn-based strategy games right okay um, fair enough the only other genre that seems to be taking up a lot of time is you know one game and that was a jrpg and that was persona that took up more than 100 hours but most other games i usually complete in 20 25 hours all right um, okay so console games i mean and you know when i'm done with them i think you know i've had my fill it's been fun but turn-based strategy in a way is kind of um <laughs> It's like a hole and you can keep digging because some of these games are so good and you can keep, you can just, you can just keep going, man. Right. Jeez. <laughs> just, I'll play some, that's I'll such, play some more Fire Emblem. That's such a bad analogy. <laughs> that's a great analogy because that's what it feels like. I love digging them it. holes. <laughs> yeah. <when> you, <laughs> You're a redneck at heart. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh man. So, so yeah, Civ Five is like 250 hours. Fire Emblem, God forbid, you know. Yeah, definitely. The entire series, I've probably played for over 500 hours now. Yeah. Um, like Fire Emblem Fates, for example, on 3DS had three different... It was one game, but it had three different stories you could play. Mm -hmm. And by the time I had everybody leveled and I was done with the entire story, I clocked in at 200 hours on that single game. Mm -hmm. And I know I've played Awakening for 80 hours my first playthrough and then this year i did the hard mode and that took me another 90 hours so you know you can you can just count the hours and just holy shit that's a lot of time mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, total war you know my total my total total war uh, uh you know time spent on the entire franchise is also probably more than 200 hours um i i've done the campaign of every total war game that there is at least once Mm -hmm. so one campaign is about 20 hours probably if you want to beat the campaign sure. but you know you can go really far in that because there's legendary triumph victory conditions then you have to basically take over the entire map wow okay so if you want to do that that's yeah it's going to take you take you a little bit longer that's pretty crazy yeah so what what do you think keeps drawing you to this like what do you love about the turn-based strategy genre See, it's, it's interesting because you hit that next turn button and you just want to see what happens next. <laughs> it's just flicking over the domino, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. You've, you've meticulously, or, you know, just maybe you haven't done this, but generally speaking, if you're doing a good job at the game, if you're playing out on harder difficulties, you know, kind of know what's going to happen, but even so, you want to see your plan unfold unfold and you want to see that hard work come to fruition and then you watch the turn unfold and then you're very satisfied about yourself and you think man okay that was cool so what am i going to do next yeah I know. and then you you don't think about stopping because it keeps being fun see for me the reason that i wouldn't stop with an experience like that is not necessarily because i'm always thinking oh what am i going to do next like for me it's it's a bit of a reverse pressure situation because I feel like, okay, if I don't set this up now, I'm going yeah. to forget. And if I oh, forget, yeah. that could screw my whole playthrough. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I, right, I have to take care of this and then I can move on. But then, of so course, it's interesting that, that you bring that up because sometimes I do make notes when I, uh, when I play a game like that. 
And sometimes when we play Total War in, in co-op, what I do sometimes, if something happened and there's a time constraint, like one of us has to leave so we can't continue the playthrough, then I will uh, make a new save file and just put like a little comment in there, mm -hmm. either in the file name or you know somewhere else so that I know when we resume our playthrough, this is an important thing to keep in mind as we move on to the next turn or you know as we continue playing. Okay. And that's been very helpful um, because sometimes you forget, like, what was I doing again yesterday? Like, oh, yeah. oh yeah, I was sieging that castle. Like, And then, then there was this note, like, it's very important that you siege the castle, but you have to make sure to wait for the artillery. And it's like, okay, oh, well, I almost forgot that, you know? <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> some, some settlements don't have walls, so you can just straight up attack the settlements. But if your enemy has artillery... You're in trouble. You know, half of your army will be dead by the time <laughs> your army reaches their army. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, so you can't make you those need kinds that of mistakes. artillery. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, I personally feel like that pretty much wraps it up for today's episode. Oh yeah, man. You've already mentioned that we're we're actually going to cut out a topic from the janitor's waltz this time around. Loyal viewers, I'm afraid we've uh, ended up talking too much. Hopefully, uh, by the time we get all this edited and ready for your uh, audible consumption, it will be in a much more appetizing format than its current state. Uh, you have no idea how much stuff we've had to cut out from this episode if you're listening to this now. Oh, yeah, you have no idea. And if you're not listening to this anymore because of that, well, I apologize for all of those who, of you who are there but not there. Anyway... <laughs> It's, it's Schrodinger's reality. So um, today we have covered puzzle games. We have talked about turn-based strategy and VR games. That might not seem like a lot, but I feel like we got a lot of depth out of all of these topics. Um, I know Silver is talking about some of the games that he loves most in this particular um, this particular one, which is why I've been a little bit more quiet. Yes. But um, yeah, for all of you out there uh, who are listening to us, I hope that you also have been able to take away something from this podcast uh, about maybe just the spirit of what we enjoy about these games and find or remember what you enjoyed about these games or still enjoy about these games. I don't know about anyone else, but I definitely have a list of things that I intend to uh, re-download and, and play again after doing this this podcast. And I'm not just saying that because I'm doing it. I am actually downloading them right now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But uh, anyway, so I hope that you've been able to enjoy this journey with us uh, down memory lane or you know down some of the more recent games that we've played and been able to take something away from that that maybe will enhance your own experience and has brought a little smile to your day. And with that, we would like to thank you all for listening, as always. And wherever you are in the world, we'd like to wish you a good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. See you next episode, everybody.